Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Immediately following that prayer, remain standing with me as we read our text for this morning. Father, we come before you this morning because you are an awesome God. Father, because we've come into your house to worship as a family, as a body of believers who longs to be in fellowship with not only you, but with one another. Father, we long to see each other grow in a relationship with you as we grow with each other and as we grow in you. Father, I pray that as we begin to truly define what we want to be as a church, as we begin to dig in and unpack the truths of your word and what they mean for this congregation and for this body of believers, Father, I pray. I pray that you would be in our midst in a way that we can sense and feel and touch, that you would stir in our hearts in a way that truly does change us by the proclamation of your word because your word is truth. Father, I pray that we would have a longing for your word that surpasses a longing that we have for anything else. That you would overcome our appetites with a desire for you. Father, this morning we love you. I pray that you would speak through me the words that we need to hear words that need to be said. And Father, that you would use this time to change hearts and draw people to you. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today our text is 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 20 and then we'll come back and focus on 15 through 17. says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His... Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. It is a privilege that I have to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim the truth of God's word to the congregation of God's people. Cody began last week by introducing you to the series that we're going to be taking part in, Defining the Church. And as we come to that, what I want you to understand that the church that we are defining in this series is Iron City Baptist Church. That is the church that you have gathered with, that many of you are members of, that you are visiting with, or that your families are part of. 
This is the church that we are attempting and trying to define. Now, many of the principles and the things and the passages that we talk about over the next several weeks are easily applied to every single group of people that is going to call themselves a church and should be easily applicable to those situations as well. But more than those on the outside, what we're concerned with is those on the inside at the moment. We want to know who we are. We want you to understand who we are as a church and where we intend to go as a church. The future is bright for Iron City Baptist Church. And we want you to know that. We want you to understand that. But we want you to understand it's going to be rooted in the text of God's Word. We want you to understand that it's going to be rooted in the truth of who God is. How magnificent and awesome and sovereign and great and grand He is. And what He has in store for us. It's not going to be rooted in our own ideals, dreams, and fantasies. But it's going to be rooted in what God would have for this congregation. And as one of your pastors, I am excited that I'm a part of that with you. I'm excited that I get to walk along that journey with you to see what God really does have in store for us in the coming months and in the coming years. Because I believe it is great and mighty things. Have you ever been searching for something? Have you ever been searching for something to stand on? Have you ever been in a situation where the footing that you're on is not quite sound? And you know that you need something to hold on to. You need something substantial. I can remember as a boy in Bridgeport, Texas, that we were fishing, if you would, one day. Now, if you've talked to me very much, I don't have the patience to go out and throw out a line and sit for a few hours and fish. I don't have the patience for that. It's not something that I long to do. If we're catching one right after the other, I'm, I'm in. But if I've got to sit there with a hook in the water and wait on something to come and bite and then figure out when to pull, the, that's not me. It's not something I do. But we were fishing, and what we called fishing was we would go down into the spillway of Lake Bridgeport, and they would release water out of that spillway. And the sides on this spillway were really steep. And then as it went down, it kind of gradually flowed out and into a small river. Well, when the lake was up, as it would be with the rain that we've been having over the last few days, they would release small amounts of water to keep the lake at a manageable level to prevent flooding and all of these things. So as they release that, fish would come out as well. Well, one day my brother and my dad and myself and a friend of ours from right down the road, we were, we were going fishing. We had gone, we had our dip nets and we had our stringers and we were just catching fish. I mean, we, we were catching bass and catfish and everything that you could want, one right after the other. And we got up under the bridge that ran across this spillway. And lo and behold, there was a gentleman who came to the top of that bridge, and he looked down the spillway this way, and he looked up the spillway this way, but he didn't look under the bridge. And then he used his radio to call up to the gate tower and told him to open it on up. And there we were, this little stream that went from a trickling little creek to a raging river that was moving boulders 10 and 12 feet in diameter, just like that. And it's at that moment that we even understand that the, the young guy with us, he doesn't know how to swim. He has, we don't know what we're about to do. The waters are raging. 
We're scared to death. We're screaming at the top of our lungs for someone to come and help us. And we're seeking a place where we can stand that has a firm foundation so we're not washed away. We found that place. I'm still standing here today. We finally got someone's attention. And they shut that water off. And we were quickly able to run out of that spillway. But I still remember, as the storm was raging around us, as that water was flowing around us, standing on that one spot that was protected, that one spot where we knew nothing was going to happen to us, at least for that moment. When I come to this text, and when I come to... This idea of starting with the word of God. It reminds me of that moment in the foundation which has been laid. And the foundation with which we're standing on. Because you see, you come here and this is Iron City Baptist Church. It's a church that if you've gone to the convention like Zach and Cody have, everybody thinks is one of the coolest names that you could possibly have for a church. Iron City. How did you get that name? Well, it's our community. It's where we are. And we're a Baptist church. Baptists have been long known as people of the book. A.T. Robertson even says, Give a man an open Bible, an open mind, a conscience in good working order, and he will have a hard time to keep from being a Baptist. I agree with A.T. Robertson. But this is who we are. And if we're going to be people of the book, if we're going to come to the text of Scripture with open minds and open hearts and good consciences, then this is where we need to begin everything. Because as Cody laid out last week, this is the, he was the introduction to what's coming. Now we're going to start diving deep into the truths that God has laid out for us as a congregation. And today we're going to do start with the word. If we're going to call ourselves people of God. Where must we start? We must start with the word of God. Because the next four things to come out in our core values. Is going to be love one another. Dine with sinners. Roll up your sleeves. And glorify God in all things. Every one of those ideas, every one of those values is grounded in the firm foundation of God's word and nothing else. God's word is where we come. God's word is, if you read Romans and you read 2 Timothy in Paul's writings, God's word is so closely tied to the gospel that at times, even in 2 Timothy, you have a hard time separating out. Is he talking about the gospel or is he talking about scripture? Is he talking about scripture or is he talking about the gospel? Or is he talking about both? They're so closely tied together that sometimes they're even difficult to separate as we read through. The word of God is like the gospel. Because... It's worth living for. It's worth suffering for. And it's even worth dying for. And men have done it over and over and over again throughout the centuries. They've died not just for the gospel, 
but for the word of God so that it might be preserved, as our song said, because I'm the one who asked John to sing that old song. Because as John related, those words are so sound and so true. Because they give us the truths of God's word. They tell us about these ancient words that God has preserved for you and for I. And if he's done that, what should we sacrifice for them? What should we do with them when we read them? Let me tell you straight out, we should just simply allow them to change us. This morning as we go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm sorry about the bulletin, it is 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy. The verses match, but that one thing was wrong. As we go into verses 15, 16, and 17, we need to understand a little bit about what's going on in 2 Timothy. We need to understand a little bit of the background that's happening here in this book because it really does kind of shine a light on what's being said. Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith. And if you read the letters of Paul, they really and truly are, when he writes to Timothy, you can see a love and a compassion and a care and a concern for this young man of the faith that Paul longs for him to do exactly what God has called him to do. Paul longs for him to be willing to be obedient and faithful to what God has called him to be. He truly is Paul's son in the faith because as I read the letters of Paul to Timothy, I see echoes and signs of my own father and the way that he treats me in relationship to ministry and to life. As he longs for what is best for me, as he tries to bring the word to bear in my life, as he tries to encourage me in ministry and in life, I see these same echoes as Paul writes to Timothy. He longs for his son in the faith. To be able to do everything that God has called him to do. And as he writes 2 Timothy, church history would tell us that most likely Paul is in his second imprisonment in Rome. That most likely Paul is in a dungeness type prison that is difficult to find. That has little light. That's going to be cold. It's going to be dark. It's not like his first imprisonment that we read about in the book of Acts. This is a much rougher imprisonment. It's not to where he can rent his own house and have people come and go. It's to the point where those who are coming to see him and those who are coming to minister to him even have a difficult time in finding him and so that's the setting and the other part of this setting is that this is by all accounts Paul's last letter this is the last letter that we know of historically that Paul is going to write and send out and he sends it to his son in the faith Timothy and what he gives to him in this letter is given to him as a father pouring out his heart to his son with the declaration of death looming heavy over his head because Paul understands that he's not getting out of this. What's going to happen to Paul next is that he's going to be beheaded for his proclamation of the truth and for his stand for the word of God. And he knows this. He sees this. He understands this. The declaration has been given. Nero is persecuting the church. And there sits Paul. The last letter he's going to write. To his young son in the faith. And he begins to pour out his heart to Timothy. 
And what does his heart overflow with? Nothing but the gospel and the word of God. We see it over and over and over again in 2 Timothy. The gospel, the gospel, hold firm to the gospel. This is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel's worth. This is what you do with the gospel. This is what the word of God is worth. This is what you do with the word of God. This is how you suffer for the word of God. This is what I long for you to know before I disappear, before I depart, before they chop off my head and I exist in this life no more. So he's pouring out his heart to his young son in the faith and urging him to come and visit with him. And as we come to verse 14 and 15, I want you to understand that what you see here in the middle and in the end of chapter 2 is must be taken in light of Chapter 2, verse 2. Because this is what it says in chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then we come down to, chapter th- to chapter, the middle of chapter 2 in verse 14. And he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God. Paul says those men, those men that you're teaching, those faithful men who are going to teach others also, those disciples that you're discipling so that they will make more and more disciples, remind them of these things. Remind them of the gospel. Remind them of the word. Remind them of the things that I'm going to tell you. Remind them of the challenges that are going to come because of the gospel and the word of God. Remind them of the difficulties that they're going to face. Remind them of what's going on and what has gone on. What has come before and what's going on after. Remind them of these things and make it a charge before God. Not just just a, a quick glossing over, but something that is diligently spoken as if it were before God. Remind them of these things and charge them. Charge them, encourage them, strengthen them in this way. Don't quarrel about words. It doesn't do any good. It just brings ruin to the hearers. Brings our thoughts back to Titus chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. It's not profitable. It doesn't do us any good. Now let me Stop right there and make note. He's not talking about defending the faith and defending the truth. He's talking about getting tied up and wrangling over things that just simply don't matter. Because there are those things that matter and there are those things that don't matter. The gospel and the truth and the inerrancy of God's word, that matters. But there are secondary issues that don't matter. We can differ on some things. If you want to argue about how exactly the timing is going to come in the end times, if you want to, if you want to argue about step one, step two, step three of end times, go right ahead. But I'm not going to get tied up in those things. I'm not going to wrangle over those words. And I'm surely not going to wrangle over things and not fuss over things that are false. Because we hold the word of God and it holds truth. 
So we don't have to fight over what truth is because we're given what truth is. And that brings us into verse 15. He says this, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. As he's talking to his son in the faith, he says, Timothy, do everything that you can. Do everything within your ability to demonstrate not to men, not to those around you, but to demonstrate to God that you are approved. In other words, that you've been put to the test and you came on the other side passing. Not that we've been put to the test and we have failed. But that you've been put to the test and you are approved. You've passed the test. You're a workman who's been diligently diving into God's word. You've been diligently presenting yourself before God because you are approved. You've passed the test. Timothy has the same opportunities that you and I have. Because in 2 Peter it says we're a nation of priests. We're believers. In John 16 it reminds us that the Spirit is going to come and give us all truth. The Spirit's going to come and give us the Word. Don't worry about what's going to be, what you're going to say to defend yourself when you stand before tri- in trials. The Spirit will bring back the Word of God to you. But does that mean laziness? Does that mean lack of attempt to study? Absolutely not. I remember talking to a guy. And this is what he told me. He said, you know, he said, when I get up to preach, he said, I, I don't have anything planned out. I just open the word of God and I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me because in that time God's going to give me what to say. Brothers and sisters, That's abuse of that text. If you're not on trial, if you're not being brought before those who are going to persecute you and put you to death, that's not what that text says. In this text that Paul is telling Timothy, he says, do your best. Do your best to be approved as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed of their knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. Let me just ask you a question and leave you to answer it by yourself. If you were to grade yourself on your knowledge and understanding of the Word of God, would you receive a passing grade? Maybe even more difficult than that. If you were to grade yourself on your application of God's word to your life. Would you walk away with a passing grade? Would you be a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed? Or would you have to hold your head down? And wonder what comes next.
But Paul says, do your best so that you don't have to be ashamed. So that you can rightly handle the word of God. And I understand that for many of us that this comes to us in the form of, of a letter written to Timothy, Paul's young son in the faith, an elder who was going to even set up the churches, who set up the churches in Ephesus and other places, a leader in the church. And when we see those things, because this is in the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus and maybe even Philemon, when we see that, we look, we'll say, well, this is for Cody, and this is for Zach, and this is for Aaron, and this is for John, this is for our elders. And granted, it is. <coughs> and we can glean much truth from these passages. But this passage is for anyone who's going to be handling the Word of God. And as believers, you better be handling the Word of God. And if you're going to handle the Word of God, you need to be able to handle it in a way that is proper, in a way that is correct. Because th this word, this word is a double-edged sword, ready to cut coming and going. And when we pick it up, we need to handle it in that way. We need to be able to rightly receive the word before we rightly give the word. That's rightly handled. That's cutting it straight. That's getting the word right from God and giving it right to the people. Yeah, that's for our elders. But more than just us, that's for everyone who's called to be a follower of Christ. Because every follower of Christ is called to make disciples. And if you're going to make disciples, as Timothy 2, 2, 2 Timothy 2, 2 tells us, then you better rightly handle the Word of God. Because let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we don't have anything else to bring to those people to make disciples. We don't have anything else to bring that's going to be such a firm foundation that they can stand on it no matter what. I don't have any other book that I can hand you to, to enlighten you on who God is and what He would have for your life as this book does. I don't have any other book that I can hand you and say, this is worth dying for. But this word is. In 1521, Martin Luther, in April, came before the Diet of Worms in Worms, Germany. And set before him on the table were many of his writings and many of his works. This was after he had penned his 95 Thesis to the wall. This was after he begins to reform and to move in a direction that is counter to the Catholic Church at that time. And so as, his, as he's been brought in, and literally he had to negotiate the ability to safely travel to the Diet of Worms and safely be removed from that without being put to death before he could even come. Because John Haas had just been put to death recently. And he knew that and he saw that. And so he, he negotiates this and he comes and they've laid his writings out before him. 
And the spokesman says, are these yours? And they read the titles. And he accepts that the writings are his. And as the writings had gone against the Catholic Church and had gone against the Pope and had gone against individuals and had spoken freely the conscience which, which he had given to him by the glory of God, is that he had declared the truth in his writings about the gospel and about grace. They asked him to recant. And so Luther, as the story goes in history, he asked for a little bit of time. And so that being the evening, they recessed until the next day. And when Luther was called back before the Diet of Worms, and he was given one more opportunity, and they, Luther, do you recant from these writings? And after breaking the writings up and making several statements, he says this, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures, or by reason, evident reason. For I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone. As it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves. I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture. Which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Remember what's happening? John Huss has just been put to death. He's negotiated for his safe travel. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. He's standing before men who could have him burned at the stake, beheaded, or even worse. He says, thus, I cannot and will not recant. Because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. Is our life built on the word of God so soundly and so succinctly and so distinctly that we would be willing to stand before those who can put us to death and say, I cannot recant I can't turn away from this word. I can't turn away from the gospel that has set me free. I can't turn away from the one thing that brings me hope and life and satisfaction in everything. Because that's what this word does. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This word. This word proclaimed, this word heard, this word taught, this word read, this word brings faith, this word that brings us the good news of salvation. That's why when we talk about who we are as a church, how could we start anywhere else but with the word of God? That which people have died for, that which people have given up everything for, that which people have been dug up and their bones burned at the stake. For the word of God to be given in languages that you and I can simply understand. Faithful men and faithful women throughout the centuries have died for this word. Where else would we start? We start here. Because this is the basis and the foundation of everything else that we are ever going to do. As we started a new year, I hope that you are digging into this word this year.
I pray that you are reading this word. I pray that you're doing it in community. I pray that you're doing it together. I pray that you're studying it. I pray that you are spending time diligently daily in God's word. So that you don't have to be ashamed. So that you can rightly handle the word of truth. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble for which, for it will, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Avoid false teachings. Run away from them as fast and as quickly as you possibly can. Run away from them and run to the word. If you want to refute false doctrine, refute it with the word. Because if the doctrine is false, it will be refuted by the word of God. We don't have to conjure or dream up ways to refute unbiblical truths. Because the word of God's already done that for us by providing us with the truth. It gives us what is necessary. And false doctrine leads to more false doctrine. False teaching leads to more false teaching. A poor reading and understanding of Scripture leads to more poor reading and poor understanding of Scripture. Why do we defend the little things that seem so little to some? Why do we defend the inerrancy of the Word of God? Why is it not sufficient just to say it's infallible? Because a little bit leads to more. Because a little ungodliness leads to more ungodliness. A little misunderstanding leads to a lot of misunderstanding. Paul even says it will spread like gangrene. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a severe infection in someone. Many of you probably have. But if you've seen it begin to take over their body, if you see their limbs begin to deteriorate, if you see their extremities begin to not receive the nutrition that they need and they begin to die, if you see the filth and the nastiness that is there, that that infection brings to the body, have you ever seen an infection stay put? Have you ever seen it just stay localized to one spot? Just leave it alone and it'll go away. It grows and it grows and it grows. And the more it's fed, the more it grows. And Paul says their talk will spread like gangrene. And then Paul even goes so far as to, to call out two brothers. He says Hymenius and Philetus. Now Hymenius is already mentioned once before. As being someone who is preaching and teaching things that are against the word. He adds Philetus in here. And so we see that he's not afraid to not only tell Timothy to run away from these things, but to call out specifically who they are. And he says this, he says, who have swerved from the truth. Now, to really understand that, swerving from the truth, we need to go back to this being rightly handling of the word of truth. Because this right handling of the word of truth is really cutting a straight path. 
so that it can be followed. And the opposite of cutting that straight path is swerving to the right or swerving to the left. There's a connection here between these two statements. One is going straight and being focused and moving toward the truth of God's word. And one is taking everything and bringing anything in. And moving around to the things that we like and bringing them in. Or it's taking the difficult parts of God's word and swerving around them. These two men had taught false doctrine probably more than likely what we're going to be guilty of is swerving around the hard truths. Swerving around those things that are difficult for us to understand and to take part in. What about you? This text has a lot to say about the Word of God. It has a lot to say about the Gospel. It's a re- reminder again and again for Timothy and for us to hold fast to the truths of the Gospel. As a congregation, we say we want to start with the Word. Well, if we're going to do that, we need, to, we need to be in the Word, we need to get the Word right, and we need to give it correctly as well. We need to avoid false teachings. We need to avoid false doctrine. We need to be able to push them back and move them out of our congregation. But as part of our core values, we want to start with the Word in our homes. We want the Word of God to be central to what happens in our homes. Because if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it's, it's not just the faithful men that we're going to be teaching. It's going to be those in our family. If we move into Titus, it's the older men teaching the younger men. It's dads teaching son. It's moms teaching daughters. It's the older women teaching the younger women. It's, it's a home that is centralized around the Word of God. It's a home that is focused on what God would have for us. It's a home that's in the Word together. And we want us to be starting with the word in our homes. We want us to start with the word when it comes to conflict. Do you have conflict in your life? Let me just ask a better question. Are you drawing breath? Then you have conflict somewhere. How do I handle that? How do I handle the disagreements that I have with my wife? How do I handle the disagreements that I have with my children? How do I handle the disagreements that I have with my coworkers? How do I handle the disagreements that I have with the people in this body of Christ? By going to this. By coming to this word. Seeing what this word has to say. I would say that there are some hearing my voice right now, that have major conflicts raging in their life that are causing them continuous grief and problems. Did you go to the Word? What does it say about your problems? 
What does it say about your enemy? Oh, don't skip that passage. It says to love them. Don't forget that passage that says go to them. Deal with it. Let it go. And some of you are already suffering this. It feels like gangrene, doesn't it? It's overwhelming you. This word has something to say to you about situations like that. Start with the word in our homes. Start with the word in conflict. Start with the word in our worldview. As we look out at the world around us, literally we should be, and you've seen Cody do this before, but we should be looking at the Word of God and reflecting through it everything that we see. When we're watching television, when we're watching movies, when we're hearing the radio, when we're talking with other people, when we're having issues, when we're having good times, reflecting it through the Word, looking through the Word of God at the world around us so that we have a proper perspective on what's going on. Our worldview, the way that we see everything should be channeled through the Word of God. Whatever you do, doing it in a way that flows it through the Word of God out to the people that you do it for. Whether you're a school teacher, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a retiree. How are you looking at that as through the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to impact what's coming out on the other side? Your worldview should be a biblical worldview. And in our daily living, this Word is relevant to everyday life. As a as a pastor, when I get the opportunity and the privilege to teach God's Word to other people, I don't have to attempt to make it relevant. God's already done that. He made it relevant for every day and every time and every age. He made it relevant for every person, for every man, for every woman, for every child, for every person in every age. God's Word is relevant and has something to say as to how you should live daily. Because remember what he's telling us? He's reminding us of those things that we should be teaching to those that we're making disciples of, which is what Jesus said. Make disciples. Paul says, Timothy, this is how you make disciples. You get in the Word, you take them to the Word, and you stay in the Word. That's it. No magic formula. No magic potion. No pill to swallow. Just the word of God to dive into. Just the word of God to allow to consume me. Just the word of God allowing it to change and transform who I am into what God would have me to be. This word has implications for our church. Because we begin with the word. It's going to change everything that we do. It has implications for you as an individual. Because as you start with the word. It's going to change everything that you do. The question for us is will you allow it to do that? This word brings faith. Do you have that faith? Do you have that faith that says I know where my hope is for eternity? 
Do you have that faith that says, I know that everything I have is resting on the one solid foundation? Or are you missing that today? You come and you hear the word. Just don't quite get it. Just don't quite understand. See, our salvation starts with this word. And the glorious thing about it is it's going to end with this word. What about you, church member? What about you, follower of Christ, disciple? Is your life sold out to the word of God? In every area and aspect, those conflicts and those struggles, your job, your life, your career, does it start here or does it start with our own desires, our own wants? As we have a time of invitation this morning, I would urge you to come. Come and respond to God's word not to my proclamation but to God's word what does it what does the word of God saying to you this morning let's pray Father we come before you this morning Lord knowing that your word is powerful knowing that it must be handled properly understanding Father that you are sovereign Lord, we understand that it's the hearing of your word that brings faith. It's the hearing of your word and the study of your word that continues us in that faith, that allows us to see the grace that you are pouring out upon us. Father, I pray that this morning that you would allow the words that you've given to us to break hearts and to change hearts. That you would call people to yourself. That you would call people closer together. And that you would call people to this body of Christ. Father, that we might, with an understanding of who we want to be, come together. Come together for the glory of you and your kingdom, Father. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Father, it is in your Son's most precious and holy name we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.